you have your Bibles and would like to follow along where I'll be preaching, it's from the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew as we continue our series through this Gospel of Matthew. Just prior to his crucifixion, after entering into the city of Jerusalem, Jesus was questioned about his authority in which he does these things, and he was openly proclaiming his Messiahship and Here he now turns to the leaders of Israel, and he is confronting them directly. And yet we also know that these applications uh, are beyond those scribes and Pharisees. They are applicable to you and me and to churches today alike. And so let's tune our ears in to the reading of his word beginning in 25, verse 25 through verse 28 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, who loved us and gave us your only begotten Son, that in him we would not perish but have everlasting life. And you sent your spirit to reveal the truth, to give us an understanding spiritually of those things that can only be discerned spiritually, and to apply the work of Christ's atonement upon the cross to our lives. And we ask now that you would send your spirit upon the preaching of the word and pray that it is not by the power or by might, but it is by your spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You will bring now forth the fruit for which would please you, and that you would speak to each one of us in our heart of hearts, and that you would minister to us with the truth, and we ask that you would bring forth fruit that is beautiful to our Savior, that is glorifying to our God. Bring forth the character of righteousness and godliness in our lives, and we pray if there is one here this day that does not know you savingly that you would work in bringing that person to Christ through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, drawing him unto the Father and to the Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Years ago, I was in my woods up on our ridge, and I smelled the sweet aroma of, of honey. And I looked around and was searching for where the smell might be coming from, and it was coming from a crack inside of a, of a hollow tree. Bees were coming in and out very busily, uh, creating uh, a large nest inside, and so strong was the smell of honey, I could smell it some feet away. It was a very beautiful oak tree. But at the core of it, the core was eroding and was diseased and gone and therefore created the cavity in which the bees could then come and do their work and set up home. 
I actually drove back on the ridge road this morning on the way to church to see if the tree was still there and still standing, and so far it's still there, but it's pretty hollow inside, and I'm not sure how much longer it will, will last. Um, when there is nothing in the core to sustain its life, it cannot last for long. I've, over the years, have felled many trees on my land, hoping to get some good lumber and timber for the sawmill from them, only to find that after I had felled them, that the core was rotten, and they were really good for not lumber at all, but the only use I could get from them was to cut them up, split it up into firewood, and to burn them. We don't want to be like rotten trees that are rotten in the core and hollow inside, but yet still on the outside have an appearance of something that looks healthy, but truly is dying on the inside. Jesus is addressing a religious movement, the leaders of that movement. And it was a movement that started good, but went bad. And that's always a danger for each one of us and for the church, for different churches indeed, have this has been true. It was addressed here at this time, right before his crucifixion, in the presence of many of the Jews who had gathered for the feast of Passover, who were just, just before crying out, Hosanna! Glory to God in the highest. And, and here they are praising um, the son of David. And even the children would bring this praise into the temple of which the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to quiet them and he would not. And this confrontation was emerging, but soon the leaders of the nation would then persuade the people to be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And the people would go along with it. Jesus is addressing in this chapter with very strong language eight woes. And we come to the next two of those this morning. These were the ones who had had the blessing of God historically, but now they spurned it. These were the ones who had the covenant with God, but now had broken it. These are the ones who had had the truth, but they exchanged it for a lie. These are ones who had good religious outward appearance, but whose heart was far from the Lord, who honored them with their lips, but their heart was far from Him, whose outside was a a pretty veneer but was on a rotten core. These woes are God's just and righteous sentences directed to the Pharisees, but they're intended for anyone who would find themselves in the light of the truthfulness and in the likeness of a Pharisee. It is helpful to know in going through this that A religion that has gone astray can be detected. And some of the things that Jesus is giving us here, as well as in other parts of Scripture, are those things in which we can detect when 
There's false religion. Jesus calls out these leaders. He calls them hypocrites. They were, they were play-acting. There was a deception about them. And one of the ways in which we can discern false religion, its leaders, those who have gone astray, is in this area in which he now turns, and that is the area of internal cleanness, purity of heart. The impurity of a heart is an issue that will in time surface because the disease is on the inside and it will affect that which is on the outside. We will know the tree by its fruit. The saying that was just previous about the gnat, straining out the gnat while swallowing the camel, lumps and all, um, has introduced us to a subject of the purity laws that God had given Israel in the Old Testament. And that's the subject of the next couple of woes. Here it was Jesus addressing the Pharisees where they, they, they paid attention to the outside. They cleaned the outside, but the inside was not clean. And this really goes to the very heart of what it takes to stand in the presence of God. It echoes back to Psalm 15, for who can ascend into the hill of Jehovah? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. It goes to an internal, inside cleanness. Holiness. Holiness. And holiness is true religion's greatest concern. And to give a man an understanding of cleanliness and holiness is what the Scripture has revealed to us. The Bible is the story about how God is doing this. And the Bible records the necessity of this. And it gives us a history of uncleanness of the human race. It records what men and women have done. It shows their utter failures to holiness. It predicts even what they will do. And we find ourselves right in the midst of the truthfulness of this matter. It records that we are not good at our heart, in our heart. At the very core of who we are by nature, we are sinners. And we are not clean inside. And that is true for every one of us. Until God does something with us to change that. Holiness is an issue of the heart. It is the issue of the inside of man. There is a religion that looks good on the outside, but at its core it's hollow and rotten and dead. It might have a pretty veneer, but it's unclean and unholy at the core. And this morning I want to preach to you about a veneer religion that masks a rotten core. It's not merely an unclean on the inside, but it's a religion that actually masks 
the rottenness of uncleanness on the inside. And that's where the hypocrisy is addressed in these woes. So let's consider that first characteristic of a religion like this. And that is what Jesus is pointing out. He addressed it in the previous woe, and now he's going to expand it here. This kind of religion is preoccupied with externals, with the veneer, if you will. A veneer, as you may know or may not know, it's, it's maybe a very thin slice of wood that is taken from a tree, and it can be put on any substrate. So it would look like the natural wood goes all the way through, but it is often put upon a very cheap core like particle board that a little moisture gets in and destroy the whole thing, including the veneer. A veneer is something that looks on the outside like it's genuine all the way through, but it is not. And Jesus takes up this issue focused on externals which become a veneer, not the genuine product all the way through. In verse 25, he speaks about the cleansing of cups. And what he's speaking about in the cleansing of the cups as he speaks here, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside are full of extortion and indulgence. Self-indulgence. This was not a matter of, of personal hygiene or a matter of, of health in the sense in which we take our dirty dishes and we clean our dishes and throw them in the dishwasher. That's not at all what he's getting at here. He's referring to a ritual cleansing. And the outside of the cleansing of the cup is referring to the vessel itself, and the inside of the cup is referring to the contents of which that vessel holds or contains. And it was the particular manner in the Pharisees that they carefully washed the outside of vessels lest they would be spiritually defiled. And they believed that by, by eating out of a dish that was not properly, religiously, and ritually cleaned, it would defile a man and it would make him unholy before God. And all of this is, is actually deceptively attractive to people who are interested in religion. Religion gone astray is a religion that is preoccupied with externals, and, and there is a certain attractiveness to that. Some of you have come out of religions that way, who focused on the externals. But when you're so consumed with gaining God's approval, and that then takes place on the externalities of uh, the methodologies or the, the liturgies or the, the things that you do or the, 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 the things that you are busy about on the exterior of the man. It's a religion that's gone astray. It's as he says in verse 27, it's like a, a whitewashed tomb which has the appearance of beauty and it's attractive, but inside are dead men's bones. It was the tradition of the elders in that day and to, to scour and scrub 
the tombs and then to reline them with this whitewash. The Old Testament did say that contact with the dead body would make one ritually unclean. We do need to make a distinction between that which is ritually unclean and that which is genuinely holy or unclean. But coming in contact with dead bodies did make people in the Old Testament in that time ritually or ceremonially unclean for a certain amount of time. And there was a reason for that. There was, there was a teaching behind that. There was a truth and a principle that were to be gained and to understood. One of the ways in which God was teaching His people the great truth of the consequences of sin is death is He taught them that death carried along with it an uncleanness because of its association with sin. The Bible says we're all subject to this. History has borne it out. So that what is needed in our lives is is a new life, an eternal life, one that will never die. And there is a remedy to that which only God supplies. And it's by this and other ways of these laws of uncleanness and the ceremonial law that God was teaching His people about really the truth of an unclean heart that is present in all of us. And it drives us to an understanding that we need something that only God can supply. The law warned about contact with dead people and ceremonial uncleanness was one of those consequences. And so the Jews were particularly concerned at festival times when tens of thousands of other Jews would be gathering into a, a city like Jerusalem at a time of a feast where many visitors would be unaware of where the tombs were. And so the Jews then would scour the, the tombs, it's, their tombs were, were not like a, a graveyard or a cemetery today, which would be easily marked, but they were hewn out of, of caves oftentimes and, and had stones put up in their presence or in the covering, and sometimes not. And so in order to mark these tombs where dead people were buried, they would scour them, and then they would cleanly whitewash them with a new lime so that no one would inadvertently come in contact with the tomb and thus defile himself when he needed to approach God at the feast. And when such tombs were painted in that day, from what I read, they could have a very beautiful and attractive appearance to them, as I think it's implied in the way that the Lord spoke in verse 27. And our Lord is playing off of that metaphor then. And he says that these religious leaders and those who follow after them in that way are like these tombs and they appear beautiful on the outside. There's something attractive to that external religion. But on the inside of their hearts and their lives, it's it's another story. This is attractiveness of a religion that is preoccupied with the external things of religion. 
The Bible teaches that cleanliness, cleanliness before God is not first and foremost on the outside. And yet there's a religion that indoctrinates people with religious practice that is external and caters to the eye and to the eyes of other people that are watching who themselves need cleanliness. And there is this externality, a veneer of religion that may have a beauty, but it's for the onlooker. It appears to be attractive, but it's dead and rotten. And this kind of thing can be extremely deceptive. See, the real problem is that the true root of the malady lies somewhere else. Jesus had already clarified that, and we've been through that in Matthew chapter 15, when the Pharisees were were focused upon the external washing of cups and of the other implements, and they asked Jesus, why do your disciples not wash in this ritual way before they eat? And Jesus answered them, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but is what comes out of the mouth, that is what defiles the man. For out of the issues of the heart, the mouth speaks. What defiles a man is down inside of us already. It is at the core of our old nature of this fallenness and sin. And a wrong kind of religion never gets to that core. It masks it. It wants to cover it up. It doesn't want to be seen as that rottenness. It's not truthful about itself. It is actually satisfied and content with the externals. The performance, if you will. The duties, the the actual rites of religion, but is not concerned with the very heart of it. And what is notable in the way that Jesus addresses the matter is that He did not discount the outside of the cup. Jesus doesn't do what a lot of people do, and that is separate the internal from the external by and separating it that way then puts the emphasis exclusively on the internal no that is actually the opposite error Jesus is concerned about the interior and the exterior the inside of man and the outside of man but to take the reaction and to discount the outside of the man to focus all on the inside As you might have heard some people say, but God looks on the inside, man looks on the outside. And they kind of justify then some kind of way that the external man is is not consequential, but only the interior spirit of man and his relation to God. But Jesus does not make that mistake. It's like in the previous verse, he did not discount the tithing of the seeds of the spices, but He was saying there's something weightier that they should have as their priority, 
while not leaving the other undone. Here he turns it to the inside. He says, first clean the inside. If you get the contents of what the cup is carrying clean, then the cup itself will become clean. It's not the other way around. There's cleanliness on both levels. But it begins on the inside. It begins on the internal part of that. Something on the inside must be cleansed and purified. And the only thing that can do that is Jesus' blood and righteousness. And it happens down on the inside invisible part of man. We can't see it. But it's there. And if the principle and the truth are in the heart, they will work its way out externally. That's why a false religion can often look on the outside like the real thing, but at the heart it will eventually reveal itself. You'll you'll know the, the kind of tree by the fruit it bears. And fruit will be coming, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And we will know it by its fruit. So the first characteristic of this false religion in terms of the impurity and the uncleanness, is that it focuses on the externals of religion. What people see. How people appraise them. But the second characteristic of this false religion addressing here is that it tolerates the uncleanness in the heart. It tolerates it. And that's why he says in verse 25, the cup and the dish, see, they're full of robbery and and self-indulgence. The Pharisees were concerned about their appearance. When they prayed, they were concerned about what people thought about their praying. They were concerned about how they were heard. So that others would have a certain opinion about them regarding their prayers. Or when they gave alms, they made sure that people would know so that they would think a certain way, have a high opinion on those. So they were concerned with how people thought about them. So much so that they did it by tolerating uncleanness in their own heart. They felt like they could mask it, cover it up. Hide it. These were ones who were ready to devour widows' houses and take advantage of the the vulnerable of society for their own self-gain. And they could find reasons and ways to justify that. They could make vows, but find reasons and ways to justify them breaking of those vows. But they held those standards to others and would not help them. They were so preoccupied, but how they cleaned the plate on the outside before they filled it with all the fat things that they obtained through their illegal and unlawful sinful ways. It was a complete hypocrisy, not focusing on the main thing but preoccupied with the externals, with the outward things, while tolerating 
the uncleanness of their own hearts. You know, we all have hearts just like that. They're unclean inside. They're very unclean. And this passage diagnoses us. Have you ever been shocked with the kinds of things that you think? The kinds of thoughts that you entertain? Your heart is no better than any other man's heart. Religion gone astray will actually tolerate that and try to mask that with externalities. Externalities that may look good, they may look fine, they may look genuine on the outside, the pretty walnut veneer over a, over a rotten core. But the religion of externals cannot get to the heart. And when it cannot address the heart, it, it, it tolerates many matters. It'll tolerate an unclean heart. It's like a, a leopard, as the prophet would say. It, it can't change its spots. It's part of the nature of who the leopard is to have spots. True religion is concerned with truth deep down in our inner man, our inner parts. And the Bible calls this our heart, which is the control center of all of our life. And that's why the Bible says, out of the heart the mouth speaks. Out of the heart are the issues of life. It's this heart that governs the way we think, how we feel, the decisions that we make. It is this that is rotten to the core in every one of us. And this is what is needful to be changed. And nobody can do that except for Almighty God who made you. And when God changes the inside, the outside will change as well. True religion always is from the inside out, not the other way around. People can go about their Christian lives attracted to things that the church offers. And there's an attraction to churches, even a church like ours. There's an attraction to that to many people who have an interest in religious things. They might be attracted to the social environment or the fellowship that happens very frequently. Perhaps to the weekly ritual of beautiful liturgy and wonderful music. Or perhaps to the ethical righteousness that has a, a wholesomeness to it. It's, it's safe for their children. It's a secure place to be. And people like this, but who do not have a changed heart, can actually serve the body for a long time. They can do good deeds in the name of Christ. The outward appearance looks to be genuine, but inside has not been changed from its rottenness and its core of deadness. But none of those external things can make a man clean inside. Not a single one of them makes a man holy. And that's the chief concern. 
You might recall back on the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus begins the instruction and the Beatitudes. He is revealing the characteristics of what is truly holy when the inside is clean. People who have their hearts changed by the Spirit of God, who are a new person in Christ, these are people that are poor in spirit. These are people that are humble, and they are made so by the Spirit of God. These are people that mourn, and they mourn and are grieved by their own sin, and these are people who admit their guilt. They don't hide it. They repent of it. They seek forgiveness of it. They don't try to cover it up. These are people that are characteristically meek in their lives, letting the Holy Spirit tame that old flesh and to bring forth newness of righteousness in Christ. These are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness and their inner righteousness and their inner holiness. They seek these things. They hunger after the character of God in their own lives. To be more like Jesus and how He lived. These are people who desire to fellowship with God. Who are governed in all of life by the principle, what will glorify God in me? These are people that are merciful. They are forgiving and they suffer long with others who do them wrong. And they are not exacting upon others. They are strict with themselves, but they are generous to others. That's a good way to think about it. These are people who are pure in heart, whose motives are purely for God, who denies themselves and follows Jesus, whose heart is intent on godliness from the inside out down to the very core of his being and all that he is and all that he does and in all of his relationships, to be godly like Jesus. These are ones who are characteristically peacemakers. These are not contentious people, but quite the opposite. They're ones who desire to be reconciled with others and see others reconciled. And so they seek peace among themselves and peace with God. They're the ones who seek peace the peace of others and the presence of God by sharing the gospel with them so that they may have peace. These are ones who are willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake and to count it joy to do so for the honor of Christ's name. Jesus was describing in these beatitudes not how we are to go about being righteous, but indicative of those who are righteous inside. And holy. It is a righteousness that must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, he said. It is a righteousness of the heart that exhibits itself in one's character. It is a righteousness that characterizes the inner man. Indeed, it is Christ's very own of what the Spirit is making us to be. Toward the end of that sermon, Jesus goes on to say, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It is one who is doing the will of God with whom God is pleased. And what is the will of God for your life and for my life? The scripture says, your sanctification, your holiness, your cleanness inside. Jesus was saying here that there is a religion that appears righteous on the outside, but actually practices lawlessness on the inside with those whose hearts have not been changed, whose inner core is truly unclean. They may do good things in the name of the Lord. They may appear to men to be good, but Jesus said He never knew them. These are people who never did the will of the Father. The Pharisees gave an outward impression of righteousness by their scrupulous observance of the law. So when Jesus informed them that they were truly lawless on the inside, it was particularly wounding. It would have confronted them in a very pointed way. But the Sermon on the Mount instructs us that keeping the law and doing good things in the name of God is not what makes one clean and acceptable in the eyes of God. It is about doing the will of the Father, your sanctification. In all their law keeping, the Pharisees did exactly the opposite in their spirit. There is a way to have the outward appearance, but the inner heart and spirit is completely opposed. There was a way to detect the falsity of their religion, and that's oftentimes seen even among us today. It's what comes out of the mouth. Over time, there is fruit. Oftentimes you can't discern a tear among wheat when it's young because they look the same. But over time when they grow up and they bear the fruit, you can discern then the difference. And the Lord will separate those matters out. But the way that we can detect these things is about what comes out of the mouth. What are the things that people talk about? What are the things that they speak against? How do they speak about truth and those who speak truth? Ultimately, what do they believe and say about Jesus? And how does that translate into their daily lives? Are they living to be perfect like their heavenly Father is perfect? In a way that they cannot accomplish in their flesh, but that which the Spirit of God only can give them the grace to love their enemies, and to pray for those who use them, and to do good to those who spitefully are against them, and to bless those who curse them. No one can do that except the Spirit of God 
has made them into a new kind of person. And like the Pharisees of old, there's a danger that people can be involved in a church, look good on the outside, faithful every Lord's Day, and relish the beauty of the liturgy and the music, and and get involved in certain ways that looks to appear before men as the genuine thing. But whose insides are hollow, empty, and unclean. Like a beautiful veneer over a rotten core. And that's why Peter would exhort the Christians of the church to be diligent to make their call and election sure. That's why John would say, discern the spirits to see if they be of God. Why Paul often warned in his epistles of the same thing. And this is why Jesus is pointing out the true religion of the heart is one that focuses on the primaries of justice and mercy and faithfulness and love. If you are more concerned with how people perceive you on the outside then you are concerned with how God perceives you on the inside, you're heading in a bad direction. If you're more concerned with people thinking highly of your spirituality, you're heading in a bad direction. If you find it so difficult to admit your sinfulness and you want people to see you in a better light than what you truly are, you're heading in a bad direction. And consider the things that you entertain in your mind and what things you desire to talk about and what comes out of your mouth. Is it praise to God? For His goodness and grace and mercy and love and forgiveness for you. Admitting that you're a sinner, not deserving these things. But you praise God for whom all the blessings flow. Because of His tremendous mercy. And that He has saved us. And forgiven us of our sins. And declaring the very works of God. Giving thankfulness out of a gratitude of a heart of full assurance of what great things God has done. Is this what flows from your mouth, from a heart that is right? Because what's on the inside will surface. It will surface. What is the governing principle on the inside? What is your core? You may be able to put a veneer on a rotten core for a while, but the real character will be made known. You'll know the tree by its fruits. There's some of us who, when we are not walking with the Lord like we should and not depending upon the means of grace, we become hollow inside. There's a hollowness there. And that's a sign that if there's a hollowness there and we're, we're not finding vibrant and, and life, That's a danger sign. That we're heading in the wrong direction. Jesus told one Pharisee named Nicodemus, it's interesting in our own context, he's 
on the one hand, speaking to Pharisees in plural, but then he turns to one Pharisee in particular in a singular, and he points him out among all the others in the text. Verse 26, blind Pharisee, you, sir, first get the inside clean, and then the outside will become clean. And that very pointed illustration, that, that singling, that single person out, could it be that the Holy Spirit is pointing his finger to a single person, pointing them out among us this, this morning? I don't know who you are. I can't see your heart, but Jesus can. He knows what's in your heart. Is it clean? Is it evidencing itself in his character? Is it loving justice and mercy? Faithfulness and love. Jesus told one of the Pharisees in a previous account that we read this morning. His name was Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus by night. And Jesus tells this one Pharisee, Nicodemus, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. See, it takes a new birth to become a new man that has a new nature that can do this impossible. And that's what is required of a true, holy, and clean heart. A man must be born again. Holiness of the heart is a new creation in Christ. It will desire to live holy on the inside, but it will not neglect the holy applications of it on the outside. And that which is true in principle of the heart will manifest itself in a desire of the way you live, speak, love, and the way you conduct yourself on the outside. The Lord came to save our rotten core. And He gives us new cores which are genuine all the way through. And what you see on the outside is what is on the inside because it is from the inside out that this has grown. And it is from this new core, this new heart that God has given us in Christ, which will become the fountain of life. He gives us of this spring of waters of which we will never thirst again. It is that which springs out. It's life. It's eternal life. And out of that eternal life will spring the good fruits of beauty, truth, and goodness. The beautiful things of life and godliness. For as a man is in his heart... So is he. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, how thankful we are for the great mercy of which you've had for us because once we were children of disobedience and under your wrath, just like all the others, there is not one who is good. No, not one. No one seeks after you. We are all unrighteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. There's uncleanness in us. this rottenness at our core. 
But how thankful we are that Jesus Christ came to save us out of this rottenness. Give us a new heart with the Spirit to breathe life into us, eternal life, and to bring forth the fruit, meat for repentance. To give us a new way of living humanity restored in the image of God, which is renewed in holiness. And Father, we're thankful for this great gift of which we do not deserve, nor could we ever merit it or work for it or earn it. Nor do any of these external rituals avail to it. Nor any of the duties of obeying obeying the law will, will advance it. We are thankful for the good work that you've given us by grace. And the merits of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we pray that your spirit would fill each one of us and convict us where we fall short and square us up with the truth that we might walk humble lives, poor in spirit. We might be the joyful ones that are glad to mourn over our sin. We would be the blessed ones who are meek. We would have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. That our hearts would truly be pure. We would love peace. We'd be willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, even swearing to our own hurt and be willing to be persecuted for the righteousness Our Father, we pray that you would bring forth the fruit of your Spirit and apply these things to our lives this day. In Jesus' name, amen.